I am kicking off a new message series this morning. For the next month, Reverend Ken and I will be preaching a series called Small Flame, Big Light. Small Flame, Big Light. It's a series about how small things that we do, small acts, can reveal great love in our lives. And I really liked the image of the small flame and the big light. It resonated with me because it's what my apartment looks like in the wintertime. I have probably a a running fire hazard these days. When I come home from work, when I get home at night, I light little decorative candles, little tea lights, probably ten or so that are all around my living room. If you uh, would like a stock tip, the IKEA 100-pack of tea lights, if they ever start selling stock in just that item, now that you know me, you should buy some shares, because I've been through two packs of those already. And when I look around at these candles in my apartment, it's also a funny reminder to me that I'm getting older. You see, I have this very distinct memory of my birthday party when I was nine years old. And I was opening up all my presents with all of my friends around me, and I got lots of cool stuff, right? I got games and toys and dolls and art supplies and all different things that I thought were really fun. And then I opened up this one present. I unwrapped it, and it was a purse. I remember thinking, what the hell am I going to do with a purse? <laughs> I'm nine. <laughs> Now, I didn't say that to their face, hopefully, right? I'm sure I was very gracious and thanked them for the gift. But I remember going home and asking my mom later, saying, how was this a present? And she explained to me that as I got older, I might actually start to think that presents like that were really cool. Purses and clothing and accessories. And I was like, I don't know, Mom. That sounds crazy. But it turns out she was right. It wasn't too many years before I started to think that clothes and accessories and purses were really cool gifts. I think after that was lotion. That was something that I never thought I would enjoy, but when I was 13, 14 years old, all that Bath and Body Works cucumber-scented stuff became really cool. And I've realized now, as I continue to get older, that I can actually mark my aging by noticing when things that I used to think were just for old ladies are suddenly really cool gifts. So candles hit me somewhere in my early 20s. I've recently moved on to something that my nine-year-old self would never be able to comprehend. I actually really love getting fancy soaps now. Anybody? Fancy soap, hand-milled, artisanal, with charcoal and goat's milk and all that kind of stuff. And I I know that I still have some growing up to do because uh, I hear warm socks are coming next, that that's going to get really cool. Yes, warm socks. Anybody? I see some warm sock fans. See, I don't get that. (laughs) Apparently, I'm still getting older. And so candles have become a huge part of how I take care of myself in the wintertime. They've become a huge part of how I create my space because they give off the things that I need. When I get home and it's dark at 4.30, 5 o'clock, 5.30 at night, I need something in my house that gives off light, that moves. I need something that generates heat and energy. The flicker, the shadows on the wall, the patterns that those lights create. 
it's so important to me because in the wintertime, I also can tend to feel kind of cooped up inside. The air feels like it's getting stale. It's too cold to open the windows and let the breeze in. I can start to feel isolated from the rhythms of the world outside. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's any living thing around me. But with all those candles lit, I feel a little bit less alone. And so today, this Sunday, marks the beginning of a particular season. Within the Christian calendar, this is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a season that holds meaning religiously. It's also become sort of a secular thing, much like Christmas has a religious side and a secular side in America. Advent meant something to me when I was growing up that was very different. My family wasn't very religious, and so Advent meant we were going to get one of those cool calendars, right? That started on December 1st, and you'd open up a door each day, and there'd be a new present inside, maybe a little piece of chocolate each day, something exciting to look forward to. Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of waiting for fulfillment in the dark. And part of what I love about the song that Andy and Andrea sang for us, Mary, Did You Know?, is that it takes us back to that place. We do know what happens in the story of Christmas. We know about the birth of the baby boy Jesus. But what was it like for Mary before she knew what was coming? The whole frame of that song is a question repeated over and over again. Did you know? And the singer takes us back somehow the singer is able to look back from some point in the future and ask Mary, could you ever imagine? Could you ever imagine what could be created through you? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? I'm not a parent, But I've heard enough stories from parents to know there's a ring of truth in that for people beyond just Mary. That children come into our lives of our making, and yet we often are remade by knowing them. And it's a song about children, but it's not only about that. I think it's also about how anything that we create, anything that we birth, or nurture with hope can go somewhere beyond what we'd ever imagined and can give new birth to us and change us. Small baby, small new thing, small change, big story sometimes, right? Small flame, big light. The other thing I love about the Advent story in the religious context is it's a little deeper, right? The secular Advent is all about joyful anticipation, purely joyful. You open up those little doors every day and there's a new piece of chocolate each morning. Yay! But in the Christian scriptures, if you look at the story, the people who were waiting 
for this moment, for this birth of this child, were scared. And they were not only scared of what might come, they were scared of the news that things were going to change. When the angel Gabriel comes down and talks to Mary and tells her she's pregnant, she goes, huh? Excuse me? It says she was troubled at the greeting. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. When the angels come down to the shepherds who are keeping watch in their fields at night for that star, they are filled with great fear. They all had to be encouraged to stay awake when it was tempting to shut their eyes, when it was tempting to go to sleep, when they had to wait in the dark with their questions. So I see this image is already up. And I will tell you that I have a lot of questions about this image. You might recognize it from the news. It's a photograph that went viral this week of the police in Ferguson, Missouri, getting ready for protests under a giant lit banner that says season's greetings. There's only two things that I'm really comfortable sharing as facts about the situation. There's a young man named Michael Brown who is dead. And there is another young man named Darren Wilson who we learned on Monday will not stand trial within our criminal justice system for killing him. Everything else that we feel and think about this situation is filtered through the lens of our own lives, our own experiences, and through the experiences of the people who we truly know and care about and love. And that is tender ground for our hearts. So I'm going to be honest with you. This is not an easy week to be up here. It's not an easy week to find words of comfort or enlightenment or encouragement for all of us. I'm guessing that there are people in this room who think the best thing to do is to take action, that this is a time for urgency, and that letting this moment pass by would be the greatest injustice. Those people might be mad that it took me this long in the message to get around to talking about Ferguson. I'm also pretty sure that there may be folks here who wish I wasn't talking about this at all who may be too numb and tired and sick to hear about this situation one more time. Some of us don't want to have to deal with these issues of racial injustice another day in our lives. And now I'm painting this as two groups of people, but I'm guessing that that's probably an oversimplification, isn't it? Many of us have probably swung back and forth between these two poles 
over the last week. And many of us probably actually hold both things, both responses in our hearts. The urgency, the action, and the commitment, and the sadness and exhaustion and overwhelm. It's complicated. It's hard. I heard from a lot of people this week who feel scared, who don't know what to do, who are wondering, what is my role? Where would I start? What do we do when we're waiting in the dark with our questions and we don't know what will come? So here's what I did this week. I sat. I sat with these feelings. I sat in my mindfulness practice, noticing what was here in my heart. And one of the first things I noticed was aversion. Now, aversion is kind of a mindfulness lingo sort of word. It's a word that basically just means, ugh, right? <laughs> Don't want to. No. It's a root quality in our lives often when we find ourselves in any kind of bad situation. And since I noticed so much of this ugh feeling, I decided I would do a little bit of self-inquiry. I would dig into that a little bit deeper. And my aversion around the events going on in our world right now was a little bit too complicated. So I started simply. I started with my body the way we are encouraged to do in mindfulness, I started with a sensation that I could feel that I was present to right in that moment. And so I kind of did a little scan. And I said, okay, what's, you know, what's here? What's here in my physical experience right now? And I noticed that my feet were cold. See, I'm going to want those warm socks soon, right? I noticed that my feet were cold. Okay, cold feet. The next thing we do in self-inquiry is we ask what emotions are present, what feelings are here. Anger. My feet are cold. I don't like it. Anger, frustration. Fear. I know what happens if my feet get too cold. It's a little bit of fear and anger, unsettledness. Those are the feelings that come along with this experience. And the next step is what thoughts are present for you with cold feet and fear and anger and frustration. The thoughts that were present for me were things like, my feet should not be cold. (laughs) My feet shouldn't be cold. I'm in an apartment with heating. My slippers are right over there across the room. And there were other things that came up with that. Other thoughts, stupidly, why didn't you put on your slippers? Self-judgment. My feet should not be cold. This is not how things should be. And the last step in self-inquiry is to say, okay, as you sit with your emotions and your thoughts, what's arising now? Now that you are there with your cold feet and all the thoughts and feelings that swim around them, what's arising now? What arose for me was so surprising 
It was actually a really beautiful impulse. It was like a small voice in my own head filled with fairness and kindness saying to me, your feet are cold, Lee. (laughs) Your feet are very cold. This is real. This is happening. Your beautiful human feet that are important and precious are too cold. When I worked and sat with my aversion, I was shocked because it actually brought me not to a no place, but to a place of great love, to a place of great self-kindness. Love for myself, which is the root of all love and concern for anyone outside of myself. I uncovered by sitting with and looking at my aversion, my instinct for self-preservation, for love and care and my own sense of worth. It's the things that we say no to that can actually point us back there to our instinct, our natural and beautiful instinct for resistance, for the feeling that this isn't the way that things should be. This isn't what we need to survive. And it's our connection to that sense in ourselves to that small flame of our own worthiness that is the seed of our empathy for anyone else's struggle. There is so much work for justice in the world that's been motivated by aversion, which is rooted so much deeper in our experience and is far more sustaining than an optimistic vision of hope that doesn't know the pain. We have to know how bad things are sometimes, how awful it feels occasionally to live in this world if we're ever going to give enough of a damn to want to make a difference. If we're ever going to be willing to enter those uncertain spaces, the darkness, which is the only place that change can really take place. There's another image that was shared a lot that I saw on social media this week. It's a quote, a Mexican proverb that says, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Here at Wellsprings, one of our core beliefs has to do with trusting gardens of abundance and joy. As the caterpillar contains the seed of the butterfly, we each have the potential for new life, within us, and like a gardener who strives to create the right conditions for the garden to flourish, we strive to create the right conditions for spiritual growth. This image of gardens of abundance and joy calls to mind a beautiful heavenly harvest, right? The sea of blooming flowers. We are gardens of abundance and joy. But the garden never grows without the seed, buried and waiting deep underground in uncertainty and in darkness, covered in dirt on all sides. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. 
This is what it means to resist, to honor the resistance in our spirits when fear and frustration shows up. When it seems like everything in the world is working against hope and we are buried underground. That's when the truth of that small flame and that divine spark that we light each week, that divine spark inside each of us becomes everything that matters. That's where we need to look. When we find ourselves in the dark, if we can trust that we are held in the soil like seeds in darkness, then we can keep watch in the night. We can keep watch as the night rushes upon us. We can trust that we are not numb souls dead to the world, but we are blessed seeds crawling to break out of the dirt, stirred on by the small flame of love that tells us what we can be if we grow. This staying awake in the darkness doesn't mean drowning in the dirt. It doesn't mean drowning in guilt or sadness or despair. It's quite the opposite. It means looking and watching expectant. And we know where our own places of darkness are. We know where those things are for us. We know how long we can stay with them safely. But if we can stay awake and allow ourselves to notice, we will find openings to the surface the space for emergence to come. Maybe walking into it not knowing what we're doing, probably walking into it not knowing what we're doing, feeling foolish or uncertain the whole way. I know that I often like to think, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that I'm the gardener in that story, right? Or I'm the pregnant mother in Mary, Did You Know? I'm the dutiful activist or citizen with the good answers with the right next step. The creator making something right. But of course, I am also the seed. I am also the baby. I am also the hurting human being, just as we all are. And all the things that we create have also come to make us new. In my neighborhood, where I have my fire hazard apartment, in the wintertime, there's another project. It's become kind of a tourist attraction in my neighborhood. You can see just one piece of it here. Yeah, it's pretty bright. (laughs) It's called the Miracle on South 13th Street. It's a couple blocks, but especially the block of South 13th between Tasker and Morris in South Philadelphia. And trust me, this doesn't do it justice. It is the brightest, gaudiest, tackiest, most beautiful display of lights that you've ever seen. All the neighbors on the street cooperate, and there are giant ornaments hanging in the trees. There's a banner. They turn the street sign on one corner into the North Pole. It even has its own radio station that you can tune into to listen to Christmas music as you walk by or drive by. And the tradition of hanging lights across entire blocks in South Philly like this started about 50 years ago. There was a man named Dominic Montanaro, and he got together with some neighbors to hang Christmas lights all across the street on Wolf, 
between 11th and 12th. And it started to spread to other blocks as he did this. There are now whole sections of South Philly where the neighbors have been doing this together for decades. When I moved to my neighborhood last year, last winter, some of you know that I was staring down the barrel of my first holiday season as a single woman alone in five years. It was tough. That first Christmas was really tough. And I felt very alone. But one night as I was walking home from the train station, I turned the corner onto the miracle on South 13th Street. I have to tell you, it felt like I was walking into daytime. This big light that wasn't of my own doing, that hadn't even been created with me in mind, brought me forth out of the ground of my darkness. There I was at home with all my little candles all around the house, and then I walk into this, and suddenly I felt so much less alone. I knew that I wasn't the only one who was sick of the dark times. There was somebody else out there who was cultivating their own small flame, who was fighting back with me against the fear, and they had brought a huge light into my life. I was talking about this display with some folks at Wellsprings that winter, one Sunday after a service. And Carl Bader, Carl Bader, who's on our tech team, he's not back there tonight, but he'll, this morning, but he'll be there on Christmas Eve. Some of you know him. He got kind of a sheepish look on his face. He said, you know, Lee, that was started by my grandfather. In 1962, Dominic Montanaro took his five-year-old grandson, Carl, around the neighborhood as they went house to house, knocking on doors, asking if they could come in and hook up the lights. They'd go up to the second-story bedrooms, and a crew on the ground would follow along, feeding strands of light on a rope that they would toss up to the team inside the house. Fifty years later, that became my lifeline. Dominic and Carl's small act revealed some great love in my life. Keep watch by night. Keep awake. Tend your small flames, and the opportunities will be there for you to be part of the change that's happening probably in ways you never have known, would have never imagined. Let's keep tending our small flames and looking beyond them to find the big light. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. Holy Presence, God of our hearts, unique to us all. We give gratitude for that spark that we know lives inside us. When everything else in the world 
seems to be telling us no, that spark that says yes. You are here. You have purpose. You are worthy. And your spark will light the way. If you let it light the way for yourself, it will light the way for others. For these prayers and for the prayers that each of us carries with us on our hearts this morning, we say amen.